0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: If you happen to watch Bill Hader's series Barry on HBO, the one with Henry Winkler as a goofball acting coach, there's a recurring bit where Barry keeps swearing he's finally going to get out of the hitman business, and he really means it. But things always pop up and he never really can. So the catchphrase becomes starting... Now, oops, another wrinkle. Then he'll say, "Starting now, Tuesday night." The Giants turned into a team of Barry Bonzes as opposed to Barry Berkman's. Uh, it forced the Mets to rethink when exactly they'll get out of the losing business. Wasn't Tuesday? Wednesday? Maybe. Like the podcast, it is starting now. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing. Now here's Josh Lewin. A down. Mets are back home, and not for nothing. If you haven't seen Barry, it is kind of genius. And if you haven't yet heard, the Mets are still not stringing wins together. Tuesday night at Citi Field, they did not do that much at the plate. They did get their shortstop back, and hey, at least they're not the Orioles. The Mets have only lost 13 of their last 19. The Orioles have lost 19 of their last 19. Josh Lewin with you. Lots to do as we welcome you in and chase some rainbows. We try to find the bright side here. We really do. But yeah, Atlanta had won 17 of 19 heading into its series with the Yankees, and the Mets had won 6 of 19. That's an 11 game swing, ladies and gentlemen, in three weeks. What do they say? Life comes at you fast. Prior to the wire-to-wire win for the Mets on Sunday, the Mets had led at the end of an inning 22 times in 22 days here in August. They had failed to lead Tuesday night, as we'll soon find out. They ended up getting whacked by the Giants 8-0. Atlanta, by the way, did lose Monday, did lose Tuesday. The Orioles, meantime, not only did they lose again, but they get Shohei Otani on the mound, and then it's three against Tampa Bay, three at Toronto, and three against the Yankees. Wow. Um, So before we get you to this Mets game, let's listen to what was said before the game. Zach Scott, acting GM, asked about that stretch where the Mets were 3-for-47 with runners in scoring position against the Dodgers and why that kind of hitting has been such a thing in general for this team.
0: Well, I think there are... I mean, I believe situational hitting is important. Um, It's a skill for some guys to be able to... You know, if it's moving a guy over, for a guy from second with nobody out. um, Some guys change their approach, some guys don't. Um, Some guys don't want to because they think it'll make it harder for them to actually execute what they're trying to do. But they all know what they're trying to do. I mean, they all want to try to do the right thing, move a guy or get a hit uh, in the process a lot of times. They're trying to do both. Um, So yeah, it's really important. When teams struggle with that, it is hard to pinpoint why? Um, you know, there's sometimes it's because some guys are getting a little over anxious um, and they want to they may you know chase out of the zone. Um, other times it's just there's some swing and miss and that's kind of part of their skill set sometimes and it just happens and there's some good pitchers they're going up against. So it's hard to you know you mentioned the analytical thing. so you often see very big fluctuations in this with individual players. And if you, you know, simply just looked at our team, the Mets last year in 2020, they struggle with runners in scoring position. Um, and then we struggle with runners in scoring position this year so far. But if you actually broke it down and looked at the players who are currently on this team, what they did as a group last year, they actually were pretty good with runners in scoring positions. So this isn't necessarily a chronic year-to-year thing for some of these guys. Um, so it's hard to predict what's going to happen next. But there's definitely real reasons, real baseball reasons for why these things happen. And it's, and it's obviously important to hit. Timely hitting has always been a cliche phrase in baseball for a reason because you need to have it.
1: That is Zach Scott, who spoke for another nine or ten minutes. And by the way, the Mets would go hitless with runners in scoring position in the game just after he spoke. Zach, also let us know there's one more MRI for Jacob deGrom that'll happen sometime today. The hope is it looks good and then he can ramp up. Maybe be pitching at Citi Field in mid-September after all. If he emerges from the tube with some less than good news, though, guess we'll see him in Port St. Lucie around Valentine's Day. For Noah Syndergaard, rehab assignment sometime this week. Uh, he will look... Good in that Syracuse Orange, if only for a couple of games. Now, various predictive models had the Mets' playoff chances between 60 and 70% just four weeks back. And now those same models, I think Zoolander is one of them, they've got the Mets anywhere between 2 and 4%. If you win some games this week and watch Atlanta start to lose, you'd be surprised at how quickly this thing can become closer to a 50-50 shot again. Speaking of 50-50... One of my favorite followers on Twitter, Jim Passan, baseball stat guy, not to be confused with the writer Jeff Passan, he just noted that over the Mets' last 1,000 games played in a Tuesday night, they were 500 and 500. And you know who else was? The Braves. Same thing. How are we supposed to feel about that? After all the highs, all the lows, all the degromination, then all the Kevin Ploiecki on the mound in Washington's while losing 24 to 5. All the ups, all the downs, and after a thousand games of your heavily invested time and emotion these last several years, literally 500 ball. 500 wins, 500 losses. And this is a fun little rabbit hole to go down. Probability and the misunderstandings about it. Now, you non-nerds will have to forgive the rest of us, but here comes some true next-level Poindexter stuff for just a couple of minutes. Because this topic is something that has always fascinated me. People playing the lottery, people in Vegas who think it's rigged when a roulette wheel lands on red four times in a row, people who say a hitter is 0 for 3 and therefore he's due and is next at bat. The go-to book on all this was written by two guys with the most poindextery names you ever could have thought of, Tobias Moskowitz and L. John Wertheim. It's like if you were writing a book on sailing your yacht in the Hamptons, you'd hire Chad Turlington and Brock Fairchild to write this book. This book, though, is called Scorecasting, and basically they say the phrase he's due is a hot load of crap. Casinos exploit exploit that all the time. That's why they post those results of roulette right where you can see them. Five straight odd numbers. Next one has got to be an even number. No, it doesn't. It's 50-50 every time the guy in the bow tie throws a little white ball onto the wheel. These guys talk about the myth of momentum, too, the myth of the hot hand, because we like to be able to explain what we're seeing. We don't like mystery. We're very uneasy concluding that sometimes stuff just happens. We need a reason why, other than just random chance. That's why the first question of the press conference to Zach Scott was, how come they're not hitting with runners in scoring position? But say you do 200 coin flips. There's almost always a run at some point of six or seven heads in a row. In fact, these guys tell us if you flip a coin 5,000 times, there is a 99.5% chance that at some point there will be a run of 10 in a row of one or the other. So apply this to baseball. A 300 hitter may just out of random chance, go 9 for 20, then 0 for 20, and he ends up a 300 hitter. He just gets there very unevenly. Every year since 1999, at least one batter hitting less than 225 for the season has put together a longer hitting streak than someone hitting over 300. So just to tie this together, if Jeff McNeil goes on a run of 15 for 30 now after his three for 30, maybe he hasn't, quote, figured it all out or is, quote, getting hot. Uh, Maybe some of those flipped coins are simply landing heads now instead of tails. 15 for 30 after a three for 30. That's 18 for 60 if you add it up and that 300 batting average, exactly what you expected all along. Anyway, Just some nerd ball food for thought. A little appetizer before we get to what you've been waiting for. You can probably tell I've been putting this off. The summary of Tuesday night's first of three against Gabe Kapler's Giants. The team with the best record in baseball, despite being picked third by everyone this year, just in the NL West. The oldest team in the majors, yet still somehow fresh as a daisy late in this month of August. So we're looking for a quick start from the home team. Remember, last game in L.A., That was the first time the Mets scored multiple runs in the first since July 23rd. No runs scored for the Mets in the first, but the Giants got one on a home run from Brandon Belt. Mets, by the way, have made a couple of pregame adjustments we should mention. Most notably, Francisco Lindor, as expected, reinstated from the IL. Five and a half weeks is what he missed. Travis Blankenhorn optioned back to Syracuse. Yenzi Diaz down to Syracuse. Heath Hembree added to the active roster. Wearing number 53, meaning pitching coach Jeremy Hefner has to wear 93. First Met player or coach to do that. We have seen some doozies of uniform numbers this year. Robert Stock wore 89. Uh, Janeshwi Vargas wore 81. Jake Hager wore 86. Strange days indeed. Most Peculiar Mama. So Lindor's first AB since July, a long fly out to left. Almost some David Wright Philadelphia magic there. Crank one out right after a long time away. But then right after that, old friend Wilmer Flores launched a double off Tyler McGill. He scored on a two-run, 450-foot homer by Mike Yastrzemski. It was two home runs and two winnings off McGill. And I still can't believe the San Francisco Giants are leading the majors in home runs. They don't have Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent. This is Mike Yastrzemski, not Carl Yastrzemski. But when a dozen different guys each have a dozen home runs, which is pretty close to what they're looking at here, that's what you end up with. The Mets were hitting some balls solidly enough early on, but as usual, pretty much right at the Giants. San Francisco, so good at positioning. And the Mets, by the way, are right there with them. They're great at that too. But go to Jeff McNeil's game at Oracle Park on Monday, I guess it was, of last week. He had... Three groundouts in a game in which he went 0 for 5. All the groundouts were hit really hard and exactly at where a Giants player was standing. Mets also took a couple called third strikes early in the game. Conforto banged into a double play. Poor Conforto. He's having an even tougher time with Babip than McNeil. Conforto's batting average on balls put in play, Babip, is 267, which is not good. Last year, Conforto was at 412. And again, I go back to our nerd friends who wrote the book. Lots of landing on heads last year, lots of landing on tails a year later. But Conforto, when you pair him with McNeil, those are two hitters at the top and middle of their lineup who tend to hit the ball right at people a lot this season. Conforto, of course, about to hit free agency. He's not exactly merging into the express lane smoothly here. Starling Marte will be very attractive for somebody out there. Nick Castellanos uh, Chris Taylor will be available. He's so underrated and so versatile. Tommy Pham not having a great year for San Diego, but uh, he's reached base at about a 35% rate. 13 homers, 13 steals. Uh, you know, that's a guy you could look at. Kyle Schwarber or JD Martinez. Most would consider them DHs, but if somebody sees him as an outfielder, a lot of guys available as of this winter. And poor Michael Conforto has not put his best foot forward, obviously. Anyway, back to the game. It was still 3-0 until Lamont Wade Jr. joined the party for the Giants. He hit one out to center with a runner on. That made it 5-0. Then belt again to make it four homers allowed by McGill in not even four innings, making it his worst game to date. And as well as he's pitched overall, how does this guy have one win in 12 big league starts? Now that, I didn't see them write about it in the book, but that, that seems a bit unfair too. All right, so deep breath, not the way you want to start the homestand, but two more hits off McGill right after the second belt home run. Giants at that point, 11 for 22 in the ballgame. Brandon Crawford, the all-star with the newly minted big boy contract, the only Giant without a hit, 22 batters in. The other Brandon, Belt, uh, already had three runs scored in four innings. So Trevor Williams comes on to try to MacGyver his way out of it. He did, but only after Crawford got his hit after all to make it seven to nothing. And by the way, the 11 hits allowed by McGill, nowhere close to a Mets record. The greatest pitcher the Mets ever had, Tom Seaver, allowed 15 hits at Philadelphia in a May game of 1976, but he grinded through six innings to keep the Mets in that game. What's crazy about that one to me is Greg Luzinski and Mike Schmidt were 0 for 5 combined against Tom Seaver, but somehow Jay Johnstone was 3 for 3, and so was Tommy Hutton. Anyway, the four homers allowed by McGill, also not a Mets record. Roger Craig, who would go on to manage the San Francisco Giants years later, he once is a Met, allowed 5-1 in one game back when the Mets played at the polo grounds in the early 60s. Mets responding, uh, not with runs to all this, but at least with some good ABs. Alonzo had a six-pitch at bat before grounding out. Lindor, seven pitches before flying out to center. It stayed 7 nothing. And the fans got more and more restless. That's understandable. Belt was at it again. Had an RBI in the top of the eighth. I will let you vote on which is the most fun fact about Brandon Belt. Are you ready? A, he once had a 21-pitch at bat against the Angels. B, his dad was a geometry teacher at Luskin High School back in Luskin, Texas. Or C, his nickname is Baby Giraffe. Press 1 for 21-pitch at bat. Press 2 for dad as a teacher. Press 3 for Baby Giraffe. Doing that, of course, will do nothing. But hey, why not? Welcome to Movie Phone. If you know your selection, press one now. Heath Henry pitched a scoreless ninth in his Mets debut. Sixty-second Met of this wackaloon season. Mets threatened but did not score in the bottom of the ninth. Notes from the box score: Well, Lindor actually looked pretty good at the plate, but took an 0 for four. Alonzo had two hits. Nimo had one. McNeil did have one. Tyler McGill had the other one. He doubled while he was still in the game. But 8 nothing the final. After it was over, the manager met the media.
0: Hey, Louie, on the offense as a whole, you seem very encouraged after Sunday's win about the potential for momentum to be carried over. Do you do you feel like you guys took a step back tonight in that regard? Uh, it, there there's some good swings on Sunday, you're right. And we face David Price. And then we we go uh after a day off into tonight, adding Francisco Lindo to the mix, uh and facing another lefty. So it's you know, we felt pretty good going about about this game and maybe seeing the guys take some good hacks and make some hard, have some hard contacts and that wasn't the case. Uh, I, I thought we were in between with our approach um, and uh, we didn't hit the ball hard. And, and uh, I mean, just not probably sitting on one or the other. I mean, it's almost like we were chasing one pitch in, in one part, uh, at the time and then we didn't get that one. So uh, I'm not going to say it's a step back. I, I thought our approach was off against uh, against Long tonight.
1: All right, there is Luis Rojas. And in this 13-game stretch against the Dodgers and Giants, the Mets are now 2-9. Final two games are against the Giants at City Field. Then comes the ice cream after the two weeks of asparagus. 15 straight against the Nationals and Marlins. And remember what we were talking about earlier regarding things evening out. For you Jets fans, I'll have you imagine it like this. Let's say the Bills, really good team right now, right? Let's say they just played the Panthers, Jaguars, and Lions. While the Jets just played Tampa Bay, the Chiefs and the Packers. But now, imagine those schedules are about to flip for the next three weeks. So, in NFL terms, the Braves were three and five. They were the the Bills, and let's say they played those cupcakes and they they won those games. They're now six and five. The Mets, who were five and three, played all the Super Bowl contenders, and so now they're five and six. But now the Mets have a chance to go three and zero, oh, so to speak, or let's say two and one, because you know we're doing a Jets comparison here. If the Braves slash Bills go one and two against a tough schedule, we'll see what happens at that point. I mean, both teams in this analogy would be seven and seven in an NFL schedule with a couple of weeks to go. I don't think that's implausible. I really don't. As awful as it felt to slide from first to third in the AFC East, so to speak, there is a path back towards the top because you're about to play the Jaguars and the Panthers here. Last time the Giants not the New York football Giants, the San Francisco Giants had a winning percentage this high at the end of a season was in the 13th season. I mean, 1913 when they played here in New York, it will be great to see them pack up and move along as a Thursday night between now and then pitching matchups for you tonight. Johnny Cueto against Taiwan Walker, both guys with about the same ERA 3.8 ish Walker, fewer fastballs of late. The splitter looks great. He's had two good starts since that stumble out of the all-star break Cueto, how can we forget what he did to the Mets in 2015? Shackled him in Game 2 of the World Series in Kansas City. Cueto had been terrible his previous outing. Eight runs and two innings and a loss of the ALCS. But that's how it was for Cueto as a Royal. That brief time that he cameoed with him, he was either very good or very bad with no in-between. The Mets happened to see him at his best on a night that Jacob deGrom had one very bad inning. Thursday night, you got the former Atlanta Braves lefty Alex Wood, a 10-game winner against Carlos Carrasco, still looking for his first Met win. That game also at 7:10. Friday night, the Nats are coming. No Scherzer, no Schwarber, etc. Pale imitation of what they used to be. Noah Syndergaard t-shirt night on Friday, free to the first 25,000 at City Field. Saturday night, the Jerry Kuzman bobbleheads to the first 25,000 as the actual Jerry Kuzman has at number 36, formerly retired, 6.45 p.m., for the ceremony and a heads up for Sunday the Mr. and Mrs. Met back to school giveaway kit hope it includes a good old fashioned number two pencil I used to take one of those into the broadcast booth every night very early in my career I learned before you step in the booth yes always take a number two uh, okay I hear the music at least we have now arrived at the part of the program where we introduce the Mets in the Morning House band on keyboards Roger Cedeno slapping to bass. It's Dave Gallagher. The horn section, and it's a big horn section, it's Eric Hillman. And on drums, ladies and gentlemen, Dave Malicki. This is Josh Lewin. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, if not the actual outcome of the game, which once again ended with the 11th shutout absorbed by the Mets this year. San Francisco 8 and the Mets. Nothing.